Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show podcast. Thanks for checking it out and make sure you subscribed. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. All right, let's light this candle. We got Guy Relford filling in for Big Nige today. I'm Jason Hammer, and it is time to ask the gun guy. Your gun-related questions, 2A questions, situational questions, handled by the best 2A attorney in all of America, Guy Relford. Frank, you are up first, Frank. Welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Thanks for having me. My question is, after expungement, how long, what's the typical wait period before I can apply for a uh, permit? Yeah, just so people know, expungement in Indiana, uh, it, it seals your record for most convictions, not all, but it also restores your rights uh, for most convictions, not all. And and we don't really know, Frank, because what, what happens is your attorney should send that information to the expungement desk at the Indiana State Police, and then some human being... Getting that information has to update your national criminal histories to reflect the fact that you're no longer a prohibited possessor and that you're able to you know to possess and buy firearms. That could happen in a day. It could happen in a month, depending on volume and how you know overworked they are and how many people they have doing the job. So I usually tell my clients give it 30 days. In the meantime, you're legal. Um, assuming your expungement is one that uh, does restore your rights, which mo- which for most convictions it does, um, you're legal. You can buy a gun from a private individual. You can possess a gun, but don't necessarily expect to pass a background check at the gun store. I'd say for somewhere around thirty days. Troy, you are up next. You got Guy Relford here. Troy, thanks, Hammer. Hey, Guy. Hey, buddy. My question has to do with uh, uh, CCW and uh, alcohol consumption. And uh, let me give you a situation here. I'm sitting at home. It's after work. I've had a couple of beers. Wife, hey, honey, can you run to the store and grab me this? I got my piece on. I jump in the car. Maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not intoxicated, but I've had a couple of beers. I get in a traffic accident. What can having alcohol in my system do differently maybe in a situation where I have a concealed firearm? Yeah, well, Indiana does not have a law like several other states do, like Texas, for instance, has a law that says if you have any detectable level of alcohol in your system and you're in possession of a firearm, you're committing a crime. Indiana doesn't have that that law. So there's no law against having a gun in your possession while you're consuming alcohol, while you have alcohol in your system. Um, There's actually not a law against being stone-cold drunk and in possession of a gun. Now, I treat possession of a gun uh, and drinking just like I do driving and drinking, which is if I've had more alcohol than I'm comfortable driving, then I don't carry, which tends to influence how much I drink more than it does how much I carry, because I refuse to give up my right to defend myself and my family. Um, But unlike many states, uh, we don't have a law against possession of a gun while you have alcohol in your system. Let's go to Mike. Mike, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel show, Mike. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I got into a conversation over the weekend with a friend of mine whose father recently passed away in Canada. The father is a Canadian resident, and the friend of mine is a resident of Florida and a U.S. citizen. How does he go about getting his father's firearms out of Canada back home to him in Florida? 
I'll tell you what, man, I always want to uh, answer every single question that comes across the line, uh, whether it's on my show or here on Ask the Gun Guy. But you're talking about a matter of Canadian law in terms of being able to export those, get those out of Canada. And I'm nowhere close to a Canadian attorney, so I don't know. I would have him consult someone in Canada because this is especially problematic because of all the incredible gun control provisions they've passed in Canada here just recently. I mean, they're clearly trying to even outlaw handguns, for crying out loud. They put a moratorium on handgun sales. They've got assault weapon bans. So you're, you're unfortunately asking me a question about Canadian law that I'm going to have to uh, I'm gonna have to duck, uh, as, uh, as much as I hate to say it. I always want to uh, answer every single question that comes across the line, but unfortunately this one involves Canadian law, and I'm just not that guy. Let's go to Martin. Martin, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel show. Yeah, hi, Guy. Hi, Hammer. Hey. Um, guy, I met you down in Brownsburg at your show. You're the one that inspired me for the church uh, uh, security team. Awesome. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. That was a fun yeah. that was a that was a fun uh, show as well. That was awesome. That was a great that was a great time. Tony and you. That was a good time. Yeah. That was a good deal. Um, my question. Um, national parks in Indiana, uh-huh. uh, DNR parks, things like that, when you get in and you camp or I take my horses into them. Sometimes on certain ones, they have restrictions on firearms. They'll say no firearms. You got to read the fine print on that. And sometimes it's, it's just a lot of words where they just don't want you to. But on the ones that just say no firearms permitted in the park, being that's a government run parks, how does that work on the law for concealed carry? Well, you get, with parks, keep in mind you've got city parks, and they're actually subject to the Indiana Firearms Preemption Act. They can't tell you you can't carry a gun in a city park. Um, state parks, it's legal now. It used to say with a license to carry. Now, under constitutional carry, you can have your handgun in a, a state park. Um, there are restrictions on um, uh, sometimes on being within a certain uh, distance uh, of different facilities in the state park, et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, you can carry in a state park. That's now legal. And now, and, and believe it or not, <laughs> you'll laugh at this, as part of the Credit Card Protection Act of 2009, I kid you not, signed into law during the Obama administration, it's now legal to have a gun in a national park as long as it's legal for you to have that gun in the state in which the national park is located. Keep in mind, though, there's a prohibition against having a gun in a federal facility which is a building or part thereof owned, leased, or managed by the federal government where federal employees are regularly present. So that would include like the visitor center or the museum or theoretically even the bathroom. So yeah, you can have a gun in a national park, but you can't go into buildings in a national park as stupid as that is. That's how that works right now with parks. Marvin, go ahead, Marvin. You got the gun guy here. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. Um, So I have an AR pistol for ATF terms. Yep. And uh, like you said, you can't trust everything you hear out of the gun shop. And I'm looking to make a new build. And they bring out that ATF is trying to now convert ATF, uh, excuse me, uh, AR pistols into a SBR, thus making me have to carry a license. Is that true 100%? Are we getting there? Can we fight that? Is there any way to avoid that issue? Yeah, well, no, if, if it's a pistol now... Um, then it's subject to the requirements for carrying a pistol. What what you're talking about is ATF has come out with a new rulemaking that says now, uh, depending on the weight 
of the firearm, the barrel length, the caliber. They've got this point system, and they've got this whole spreadsheet. And I'm an attorney. I study this stuff for a living. It's incredibly confusing. But they, they basically, you assign points based on barrel length, weight, caliber, uh, configuration, different uh, characteristics. And if you exceed a certain number of points, it's a short-barreled rifle, or SBR, uh, and you have to get a tax stamp. So you have to go pay your $200 under the National Firearms Act and get your tax stamp for a short-barreled rifle. And they're and I'll tell you right now what they're doing. They're trying to make it so incredibly confusing that everybody just goes and gets an SBR stamp. Um, and they're offering amnesty, as I understand it. I don't know that that's been finalized, so you may save the 200 bucks. But in the meantime, you got to register it with the federal government and get your stamp so you avoid going to prison for 10 years by having an unregistered short-barreled rifle. Be sure to catch us every weekday, 3 to 7 on 93 WIBC, or subscribe and get it right to your phone. 